Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report, dated February 5th, 2021. I'm Phil Adler. I'm speaking with Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. Today, we look at the price of housing, where it's been, where it may be headed, how the pandemic has helped to drive demand, and how housing should be positioned in investment portfolios. First of all, Bill, we're aware that housing prices have been heading higher in the United States. But what strikes me is how strong this sector has been across a variety of measurements, not only prices, but housing starts and ownership. But let's begin with home prices. Just how much have they increased and are you surprised at how strong they've been? Well, existing home prices have risen strongly, up 13% over the past year. That only happens less than 5% of the time for the data going back into the early 1960s. New home prices are less robust, but are also up about 8%. These are not inflation-adjusted prices, but they're clearly strong. And prices seem to have increased recently more for existing homes than for new homes. Why is that? Well, it's a lack of supply issue. Uh, In the aftermath of the great financial crisis, available home supply rose, although some of that was absorbed by the rental market. Home building declined in the wake, and it took a few years before that excess supply was absorbed. Complicating matters has been the issue of households staying in their homes longer. The pandemic has also affected the ability to shop for a house and probably discouraged some from putting their house on the market. And finally, we've seen a rise in home remodeling activity as homeowners retrofit their homes for either adding more space or for staying in them as they age. And adding to pressure is we are seeing a rise in millennial generation household formation, which is affecting demand. Have home starts been keeping up with this demand? Mostly, although the pandemic has affected this factor as well. Before the pandemic, most of the home building was in urban or close suburbs. But the pandemic has opened up the possibility of work from home, which is encouraging moving further out from urban centers. We suspect the industry is just starting to cope with that trend. Back to prices. How about urban versus suburban versus rural areas? Are there any real differences between these segments in terms of home price increases? That's a really good question. Unfortunately, our data breaks up prices by region, but, but, but not by urban, suburban, and rural. There is anecdotal evidence to support the idea that we are seeing stronger prices, though, outside of urban areas. What about home ownership? Where do we stand? How does this compare to times in the past? And how much room is there to grow? Well, home ownership rates are up, but the most interesting measure is the number of homes vacant and available for sale is only 0.9%. In other words, the homeowner vacancy rate is 0.9%, the lowest on record. If you divide the total number of U.S. housing units by the number of households, we are at levels not seen since the early 1980s. So there is significant room to grow. Even though prices have been surging, Bill, home affordability remains high, which brings me to the question, how do we exactly measure home affordability? Well, the National Association of Realtors has an index that's a combination of of median home prices, income, and mortgage rates. Low mortgage rates have clearly supported affordability. And household income uh, has been helped by transfers uh, because it's not just wages, but it's, it's total household income. As the economy recovers, this factor may actually hurt affordability because transfers will decline. But overall, we expect affordability to remain favorable. 
and looking at wages in particular, the, the measure of average wages within this home affordability index. This has gone up. Even, even though so many people have lost their jobs, it doesn't seem logical. Well, the, the index, first of all, uses monthly income, so it is being helped by the checks that the government is sending to households. But there's also another important factor. As jobs have recovered, we have seen a recovery in compensation because those who are working tend to be those in higher wage occupations, and the lower wage occupations have seen the highest number of layoffs. Right. A lot of people aren't working at all. So with that in mind, does this measure of wages, do you think, constitute a weakness in the home affordability measure? Well, potentially, although it is being partially offset by transfers. In addition, wages will likely improve going forward for those lower income households. Well, the pandemic has certainly played a major role in the in the overall strength of housing. I guess with the benefit of hindsight, I could have predicted it, although at the time I certainly didn't see it. However, I did personally experience it both on the selling and the buying side last year. Talk a little bit, Bill, about the various factors that have created this bull housing market. Well, first, the work from home movement has encouraged people to seek out more square footage and they are less constrained by geography. In other words, a bigger house in a distant suburb works if the commute is eliminated or becomes only occasional. The demographic trend to millennials forming households is also playing an important role, boosting the number of potential homeowners. And interestingly enough, a third factor is the pandemic has made senior housing much less attractive, encouraging people to stay in their homes, constraining the potential supply of existing homes. Regarding one of those factors, household formation, do you think new combinations are any factor? In other words, are we seeing more instances of unusual combinations like two or more families or, I don't know, distant cousins combining resources in order to buy homes? Well, there is anecdotal evidence, and this especially uh, seeing this on the West Coast, of new construction for multi-generational housing. In other words, a home is built for, for grandma and their children and their children's children. The numbers are starting from a small base, but there does appear to be a trend developing, and I think it's been accelerated by the pandemic because of the concerns surrounding nursing homes. Bill, do you see any signs right now that the overall strength in the housing sector may begin to moderate? Well, there are obvious swings in the housing market, but the key risk is probably from the mortgage market. A sharp rise in mortgage rates would clearly cool the market. If this happens, at least for a few months, home prices will either stop rising or decline, which will likely bring life back to the market. Do you think the Fed will continue to pay what right now appears to be particularly close attention to the state of housing? Well, given the comments we've seen from the Fed over the past two years about trying to address income inequality, I suspect that we'll pay very close attention. After all, the biggest asset for the bottom 90% of households in terms of income is their home. And where should housing be positioned in portfolios? Well, in our asset allocation portfolios, we have a specific allocation to the home builder sector. Uh, that includes not just home builders themselves, but firms involved in furnishing carpets, that sort of thing. 
Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. <music>